Our second scripture reading today is from John 20, uh, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark in the mark of nails, mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Uh, we're in the season called Eastertide right now. Uh, so this is the, the period of the church calendar that starts at Easter and goes to Pentecost. So uh, we have these two Sundays in the life of the church. Uh, I honestly think they're two of the most important, if not the most important parts in the Christian calendar, because on one hand, we obviously have the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I, I, I don't think you could find anybody that say that's not a very important time in the life of the church. Uh, and then a few weeks from now, we have Pentecost Sunday, which celebrates the birth of the church and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So not only are these two very important parts of the church calendar, uh, they're also two of the most supernatural parts of the church calendar. Uh, I mean, the, the resurrection of Jesus, very supernatural story. And then we have the early church huddled in a room, uh, scared out of their minds when all of a sudden bust of wind shows up, uh, tongues of fire, all of this. And then all of a sudden they start speaking other languages out to people who have never heard the gospel. Very supernatural stories. So I find it pretty ironic that today uh, is always... And every year of the church calendar is a time to, to focus on doubt for a second. Uh, I know there's a lot of other stories that happened in our scripture reading today, uh, but it seems like we always focus on Thomas. We could focus on other things. Jesus walked through a locked door. I don't know if you'll notice that. Uh, he breathed the Holy Spirit onto his, onto his disciples. There's all these things going on, but in, throughout church history, this Sunday has almost always been called Thomas Sunday to celebrate the story of Thomas. Uh, who we call Doubting Thomas more often than not. I don't know how often y'all have heard the, somebody, or you call somebody a Doubting Thomas. That's, oh, you don't believe me? You're a Doubting Thomas. Happens all the time. Uh, but I told Chuck uh, at the beginning of the semester that we were assigned weeks of the lectionary 
to uh, preach. And he said, okay, so which Sunday is yours? And I told him the Sunday after Easter. And he said, okay, you can preach on Sunday because I'm tired of preaching about Thomas. Uh, so that's a little... Used up all my doubting Thomas sermon. I mean, how many can you have, really? really. I don't know. This is my one, and I'll just probably preach it forever. No, uh, <laughs> but I can understand why this story is so pivotal every year. It is an example of the risen Christ showing up. Uh, it's a pretty important story. Um, but as we saw in the story, Jesus shows up to his disciples. Thomas isn't there. I think that might be the first uh, truth that we can get out of this. Show up to church on Sunday because you don't know who's going to be there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus might show up and just turn everything up over on its head. Uh, but he shows up to his disciples, and he shows them his pierced hands. He shows them his pierced side. And then they see him for who he is. And they worship him as the Lord. <clears throat> but then, like I said, Thomas wasn't there. So they go and find Thomas at some point in the week and say, you were not at church and you can't believe who showed up. <laughs> Jesus was there. He had holes in his hands. He had a pure side, the whole nine. You should have been there. But I don't know about y'all. If that was me in that situation, my exact response was, I'm going to have to see this because I think you're crazy. Um, and that's what he says. That's what Thomas says. But this doubting is what gave him this name, Doubting Thomas. I, I think this is a little bit of an injustice towards Thomas because there are so many other folks in the Bible that there are so many other disciples even that we don't name a single indiscretion and then give them that name for the rest of church history. We don't say denying Peter. We don't say running naked Mark. Uh, we don't say jealous James. We don't give these folks these names. We remember them for their good and their bad. But for some reason, Thomas gets stuck. And so I want to look a little bit about what doubt is and what Thomas tells us about doubt today. So a week later, we have Thomas making it to church this time. It's, it's, you can only you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. So Thomas actually gets to see what he's looking for. But... Like I said a minute ago, the other disciples already got this opportunity. Jesus showed up to them and showed his hands. He showed his side. So the exact same thing that Thomas is asking for, saying, I will believe what you're saying when I see his hands and I can put my hand in his side. The other disciples already had that opportunity. So that's the first actual truth I want to bring you guys today. I know the coming to church thing is important, but... Uh, this is the first thing that I actually want as a takeaway. When we come across someone who is in doubt, when we ourselves are in doubt even, when, when doubt is, is in the picture, we've got to remember that we can't judge folks based off of what we've gone through, but what they've gone through. It's pretty easy to say, how can you not understand this? When they've not had the walk you've had, they've not gone through the relationship with Christ that you've gone through. So when you're dealing with somebody that's going through doubt, when you're dealing with somebody that is struggling with what to believe, understand that the walk that they've walked is different than yours. So when you find yourself sure in your faith, you find yourself there because of what's behind you. And so when someone is unsure in their faith, they're there because of what's behind them. And we have to respect that and understand it. I was reading a book not too long ago where the writer was talking about the distinction between the way we talk about doubt and the way we act around doubt. 
and he was talking about the fact that we talk about doubt like it's this thing that everybody goes through. Um, but when doubt is actually an experience, it's much different. He told the story of a woman who was in ministry at a church, and she started experiencing a season of intense doubt. Um, she was questioning a lot of things in her beliefs. And she went to her pastor and said, hey, pastor, I'm going through this struggle. Uh, if you could help me, I'm pretty sure you've probably gone through it too. Maybe you could help me walk through this. And the pastor, instead of responding to her doubt with grace, responded by taking all of her ministries away and pretty much treating it like it's a sin problem in her life. I think that's what we tend to do in practice when we deal with doubt. We automatically assume that it's a problem with that person and not just a season of faith. But that reminds me of a quote from uh, Frederick Buechner's book, Wishful Thinking, A Theological ABCs. If you've never seen this book, it's a little tiny book, uh, and it goes alphabetically through subjects. Uh, when you get to D and doubt, instead of having a big paragraph like it has a lot of times in this book, it's just got two sentences, and I want to read those to you all. Whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep us awake and moving. I think there's truth to that. We all have doubt. But we're scared to talk about it because we've built them up as this terrible thing that could possibly destroy faith instead of treating them as a part of faith. I'm thankful that in this situation in the story, Jesus didn't act like that to Thomas. Jesus responded to Thomas with grace, and Jesus responded to Thomas with patience. And as such, even though we give him this Doubting Thomas moniker, through that grace and that patience, he came to faith. He looked at this situation and said, my Lord and my God. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that anybody refers to Jesus as God. Uh, and I think that's a pretty important thing. So it's kind of fascinating that the person that we put as the most doubtful ends up doing one of the most faith-filled things, which I think is pretty important, especially when we look at Thomas as a, as a whole. I know, I know it's easy when we look at a story in Scripture to look at an individual's story and just paint that person with that one story. But this isn't the first time Thomas shows up in John. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Lazarus, um, in the Lazarus story, when Lazarus dies, and Jesus and his disciples are off and not in Judea, uh, Jesus says, Lazarus, it's after it took the disciples forever to figure out what Lazarus is asleep means, uh, he finally looks at him and says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to go raise him. Uh, the disciples are like, if you go to Judea, there's some folks there mad at you, and they will stone you to death. And he's like, well, we're going anyway. Thomas is the one who says, okay, if Jesus is going, let us go with him and die. I don't know about y'all, but that's faith. That is a resolute decision to say, oh, you're saying that you can raise this guy from the dead? Prove it. I want to see it. And he's going with him even if it's going to cost him his life. Um, because at that time in the Gospel of John, Jesus had not raised anyone from the dead. Lazarus is the first that Jesus raised from the dead. Well, in the Gospel of John, the only person that it says that he raised from the dead. So the, Thomas has no proof that that will happen, but he still wants to go see it, even if it's going to cost him his life. It's hard not to think that his doubt is actually what's driving this line of thinking. He's saying, I don't know if you can do this or not, but I want to find out, so I want you to prove it. 
that's the thing that, that fascinates me about that Buechner quote, because doubt is the ants in the pants of faith, because ants in the pants are uncomfortable. Doubt is an uncomfortable thing that causes us to move. It causes us to take action. I mean, I don't know about y'all. I wouldn't keep ants in my pants for very long. That's, that's, that would have to get fixed <laughs> post-haste. Um, and that's, we always think that certainty is this thing to aspire to, but I think that doubt is just as important because how often would it be that without doubt we're stagnant? How often would it be that without doubt we don't take chances and find out what we really believe? I was listening to a podcast where a philosopher was talking about certainty. He was talking about how we think of certainty as the, the end-all, be-all of faith being so certain in what we believe that everybody can see it on our face. But he really said that instead of faith lying at the heart of certainty, deep, undealt with doubt lies at the heart of certainty. What he says is something along the lines of, if I can remember it right, he says that when you're so sure in what you believe, and suddenly something comes along that makes you question what you believe, you're presented with two options. You can either look at this new information, this new data, and consider it, possibly either refute it or bring it into your belief system. Or you can say, no, 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 no. I don't want to touch that. So if you got it from a book, you burn the book. If you got it from a friend, you don't talk to that friend anymore. And when that happens, we build up walls of certainty around this doubt that we don't touch. So the doubt, instead of being out in the light and being able to be dealt with, sits in the dark and festers. When that, in that situation, what seems like an ivory tower of certainty is really more of a prison with doubt locked up in his dungeon. And it's still there. So sometimes when we look at Thomas, we, we think of him as this doubtful individual. But I think Thomas was going through this situation where he said, okay, I've been presented with this new information. Let's, let's work on that. Let's figure out what's going on. He said, okay, so you're saying Jesus came back. Let's, I want proof of that. Not just because he needed new information. We've got to understand that Thomas was Jesus' friend. Jesus was his teacher. Of course he wants Jesus to be back. Of course, because why wouldn't you? I mean, if I found out somebody I knew was back from the dead, I would want to see them as soon as possible. So I don't think that's doubt near as much as just compassion on some level. So Thomas could have locked the doubt away, but he let it out to play. He let it out to see what was going on. So to the doubters in the room and to the faithful in the room, I pray that you'll be like Thomas. When you find yourself presented by doubt, you will allow it to run out and play. See where it leads you. Because doubt leads to action. Doubt leads to change. Doubt leads to the ability to become someone else that you were before. Blogger and author Rachel Held Evans wrote a few years ago that what Holy Week is like for a doubter. When she said about doubt, quote, it will bother you off and on like a rock in your shoe, or it will startle you like the first crash of thunder in a summer storm or it will lodge itself beneath your skin like a splinter, or it will show up again, uh, the uninvited guest whose heavy f footsteps you recognize everywhere, 
appearing at your front door with a suitcase at the worst possible time. These uncomfortable things cause us to move. They cause us to grow. I know at the point of my faith when I was questioning, when I was going through the motions and making myself look like I believed a lot more than I actually believed, I became enamored with what Jesus told us to do, with the way Jesus acted and the way we were supposed to act as followers of Christ, because I wanted to see that in the believers around me, because it was proof that Jesus really can change lives. If people act like Jesus wants us to act, then maybe there's something to this story. And that brings me to my last point. Thomas believed when he saw the body of Christ. Thomas believed when he saw the nail-pierced hands. He believed when he saw the hole in his side. And Paul, later in the New Testament, says as believers, we are a part of the body of Christ. So when we interact with someone who is questioning, when we interact with someone who is doubting, if we have to be a part of the body of Christ, be the nail-pierced hand. Be the hole in his side. So maybe the folks around you can see Jesus in you, and maybe some of those questions will be answered. When, in John's Gospel, Thomas interacts and Jesus says, you believe because you saw, but blessed are those who, did, who do not see, but yet still believe. I think we think of this as a condemnation of doubt. Uh, I think we think of this as, okay, so those who doubt are lesser in the hierarchy of the church. But we've got to think about where the receivers of John's gospel were at this time. They were for decades, decades away from the risen Savior. They hadn't seen Jesus. None of these people had seen Jesus. And so when they're hearing this for the first time, someone's standing up there and reading this letter to them, it'd be kind of like a Ferris Bueller moment where Jesus turns and looks at the camera and says, this guy believes and he saw me, but you believe and you've never seen me. Somehow you're still here. But the thing that we have to remember is that it might have felt for John, the folks that received John's gospel that Jesus wasn't there. And it might feel for, like for us that Jesus isn't here. But Jesus is here. Like I said earlier, we're celebrating soon the Sunday of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in, dwells among us in our hearts and in our communities. God is here with us. And so as we're the body of Christ, we need to be the body of Christ to those around us so they can work through their doubt. And if you are doubting, look to the people in the pews next to you. Look to the people serving the poor next to you. You might find Jesus there. Amen. Thank you, Corey, for um, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you into the insights uh, in this scripture passage to share with us today. Um, I think about compassion. I think about, I uh, love what you said about uh, us. If we're going to let people see Jesus in us, let it be those, those pierced hands inside. Um, and once Thomas saw uh, the piercings there, uh, he might not have said, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, but it's probably what he was thinking. 
And so we can be thinking that as well as we sing our hymn of invitation, hymn number.